Two midweek meetings. One is on Thursday, which is uh, our, our, our new community from 8 till 9.30, and then prayer on Friday from 8 till 10. Um, I am genuinely excited about what God is doing in our midst. Just, you know, I don't know what your expectation is, but when I think I'm excited that one person wants to get baptized and when you share it with people and then three people come forth and maybe more, then I'm thinking, yes, that's so exciting. And when, when I've I've heard of at least four people who are looking for a church in the area, some Spanish speaking, some who are looking for an international church, and they've all come to us through different routes this week. So Praise God that he's connecting us. Praise God that he's connected us. Uh, we are connected with the rest of the world. Um, I was in Germany this week. I was working in Germany with my job. And um, I got talking to the taxi driver on the way to the, on the, way to the airport. And uh, we just got chatting. And I, I started talking about what he did. And he said, I used to be a drummer. And he used to be drummer in a band that I can't remember the name of, to be honest. But it was a band, a name that I rec- recognised. And I said, so how come you're taxi driving in Egham? He said, I moved to Egham. I now drum and I drum in church. And then once I was straight into a conversation with this um, guy and uh, we just started talking about God and talk, talking about the state of the world. And he, he started asking about the church. And uh, I found every day this you know, yeah, every day this week, apart from Saturday, apart from yesterday, every day this week, the church has come into a conversation and I've not brought it up. So if we want opportunity, let's pray. And as we pray, do not be surprised by the opportunity. Yeah, it's so easy, I think, to, to pray something and then um, we think God hasn't answered our prayers. And it reminds me of a story of a man who, um, who is um, in a house on a floodplain. And the rain comes and the rain comes and the rain comes and uh, um, he, he has to has to move upstairs. He moves all his furniture upstairs because now the river's burst its banks and it's flooding into his house. And he's praying, God, would you help me? Um, I, I need to get out of this circumstance. And uh, um, a, a, a fireman comes past in waders and says, can I help you, sir? And he said, no, no, it's all right. I, I'm going to be saved. Uh, thank you very much. And uh the water rises more and he now has to get up onto the roof of the house um, because the water's risen more. He's now sitting on the roof of the house and the flood's getting higher and higher and higher. And an RNLI boat comes past uh, and says, can I help you? He says, no, no. I said, it's all right. I'm going to be saved. Thank you very much. Go and help the, the neighbours. And he's praying more. God, help me. God, save me. And that, now the water rises more and it gets to the chimney pot and he's now standing on the chimney pot. Um, and a helicopter flies by and a, a guy megaphones down and says, can I help you? Uh, you? Would you like to be saved? And he said, no, 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 it's all right. My God will save me. Thank you very much. You go and help the neighbours. And uh, the water rises even more and the man drowns. You're thinking, what kind, of, what kind of story are you telling us, Dave, on Sunday morning? The man drowns. Uh, and the man drowns and he goes to heaven and he says to God, where were you, God? I cried out to you and the water rose and you didn't come and save me and the water rose some more you didn't come and save me and the water rose and you didn't come and save me and God looked at him and said I sent you the RNLI I sent you a helicopter I sent you a fireman in waders what more did you want 
You know, sometimes we need to wake up and recognise that when God sends someone, he sends someone and we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised by answered prayer. We shouldn't be surprised by opportunity that comes. If we're going to pray, Lord, send some people, let's not be surprised that some people come through the door and maybe we don't have enough chairs. And let's not be inconvenienced by the fact that, oh, I can't sit in my normal chair. Um, Keith Hazel has now gone to be with the Lord. I remember him telling me about a church in Romania. And he said this particular church met in a village hall. And it was in a fairly large village and they met in the village hall and some of the windows were broken. And he went to speak at a meeting there in November. And it was cold. Snow was on the ground, six or seven inches of snow outside. There was no heating in the building. He was already warned to come with two or three jumpers um, because it's going to be cold. So he comes and he puts the jumpers on and he gets up to preach. Now, worship's already happened um, and somebody's already shared something for 25 minutes. And so Keith's thinking, OK, they've taken some of my preach time. So as he gets up, the pastor invites Keith to come up and share. And Keith says, I'll only be 20 minutes then because you, you know, you've already taken 25 minutes to share some other things. And the, uh, and, the, and the pastor said, no, 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 we want your full sermon. You planned an hour, we want an hour. Now, here's the interesting thing. Keith then observed that they all sat patiently all the way through the service. No one got up to go to the loo. You know, everybody sat there and then there was ministry at the end. And he was just so surprised. You know, it was cold and there were, there were panes of glass missing out of the window. And, and yet people sat riveted listening to God's word. And I just, he said, how does this work? And in fact, there weren't even toilets in the building. The toilets were at the other end of the village, the public toilets. And he asked the pastor afterwards, he said, how come no one goes to the loo? In Canada or in America or in the UK, there would be people coming and going. He said, well, they all go before they come to church. And they've all made sure that they haven't drunk too much so that they don't need to go. And he said, it's very pragmatic. You don't want to walk you know, a few hundred yards out in the freezing cold to go to the loo to walk back again because your seat will be taken by the time you come back because everybody will have moved in and those who are standing will now sit down. He said, so nobody wants to move because their seat might have gone. Oh, for the day, oh, for the day when actually there might not be enough seats here and we might have to queue for church. You might remember and heard of the Brownsville revival happened in Pensacola. And uh, God moved on that church in amazing ways. And there were services every day of the week. And the service, the doors opened at six o'clock in the evening. And they closed the church at 11 o'clock at night every day of the week for months on end. And do you know what? It wasn't a massive church. It was a fairly big church, but not a massive church. And what happened was people were so hungry to be in the presence of God that they queued outside from three o'clock in the afternoon. To get in. So I'm not surprised. When God's there, there's no better place to be. When God's there, then there are amazing things that happen. And I want to live on the edge. And my sermon's title this morning, if you want a title, if a title helps you, is Let's Live Life on the Edge. Let's Live Life on the Edge. I don't know what kind of edge. I don't know what that picture encompasses for you. How many people in the room or listening online or those listening later have ever been hang gliding? Anybody been hang gliding? Okay, nobody's had that experience. Anybody been parachuting? Okay, parasailing? 
Anybody been off the back of a boat on on either one of those banana things where you're bombing along? No? Oh, there's a few people who've done that. Okay. Now, every single one of those relies on an element of faith. Okay? If you are going to jump off, you know, you can understand the theory of aerodynamics. You can open up your, your hang glider and you can get the wings out and you can point it into the wind. And as the wind blows, you can feel it lift. And you can feel it lift and you have to hold on to it. Okay, but it's only when you get some uplift that it's going to take you. And typically, the way you do that is that you run into the wind off the edge of a hill. And, you know, you can run for a bit. Maybe some of you have flown kites. You can run for a bit and the kite catches and that's great. And then the kite drops and then you have to run some more. But here's the reality. If you run off the edge of a hill with a hang glider, there's a moment when there is no more ground to run on. And the, the, the hang glider goes down like this a little bit as it catches some wind, and then off you go. You know, and I, I'll be honest with you, the first time I did it, I've only done it twice, my stomach was somewhere else. <laughs> my stomach, your stomach belongs here. Your food belongs here. But I'll tell you what, when you drop, like you might, if you've ever been on a plane and it's hit an air pocket, and you've dropped a couple of hundred feet, and things fly up, you know, pens and... Drinks all fly up in the air. Your stomach ends up in your mouth. And you genuinely feel like your stomach is in your head. And that's exactly the same experience. But here's the point. There was a point of no return. You know, I could, I could with the hang glider, I could start to run and that was fine. And if I slowed down again, then I could slow down and slow down to a walk. But there came a point where you were running so fast that there was no point of return. You had to keep on going. You had then to say, okay, I'm going for this. And church, I want to say this morning, I'm going for this. I'm going for what God has for us in this building. I'm going for this. And that means I will need, that means I meet a point of no return. And one of the points of no return was yesterday, uh, Friday. The point of no return. On Friday morning, we could have picked up the phone and, and cancelled it all and said, we're not taking the lease on. You know, you might, I'm just being pragmatic here, but we could have said, no, no, we're not going to do it. But no, we've done it. We've run over the edge now. We are catching the uplift at the moment. Some of that's technology not working. You know, there, there are hiccups that happening. When change happens, there are hiccups. There are things that occur. So let's not be surprised by these kind of things. There will be opposition. There will be opposition to what we want to do. There will be opposition to taking part in these things. Juliet talked about building a wall around Abba Father's house. And when it was just a simple fence... It was just a wire fence and people, you know, people cut through it sometimes, didn't they, Juliet? They cut through it. Sometimes they stole some of the fence. And that's one of the reasons we said enough is enough. We are going to put a marker down and say this is land that belongs to God. And so instead of having a chain link fence that we replace and then we replace again and isn't quite as secure as it should be, we said we're going to build a wall. And that bill costs millions of Ugandan shillings. Not millions of pounds, millions of Ugandan shillings. You know, almost every week, certainly every month, I feel like a millionaire. Yes, uh, today, uh, no, this weekend, I sent the money to Abba Father's house. Okay, every week we send money to Abba Father's house. Um, as a trustee, I'm, I'm part of that process. And I sent over a million Ugandan shillings. So al almost every month, may maybe more often than that, I feel like a millionaire because I'm electronically touching a million so I feel rich. Um, it's only a few hundred pounds. Um, but you know what? 
I am just, I, I, am, I am blessed to be part of the process. Because we're taking gifts from people and sending them to needy widows and orphans in Uganda who are being blessed by that. Now, does that mean we get opposition? Juliet talked about the fact that, you know, we started building the fence, started building the wall. As soon as we started building the wall, opposition came. We started getting opposition. People turning up saying, what do you think you're doing? Well, we're building a wall around our, our property. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the work, we had opposition to the workers. The, you know, the workers were scared off a couple of times. We had stuff stolen. But you know what? We recognized as trustees of the charity that we were laying down a line. We were laying down a marker. We were saying, this is our boundary. Do you know, when you do that in the kingdom, there will come opposition. Because we are making a stance. We are setting a principle down. Do you know, sometimes that doesn't have to be anything to do with a wall or a fence. Sometimes it's just a simple yes. And somebody says, um, you know, do you, is this true? And let me, let me tell you a story because uh, that's very relevant to this. So... I used to be a commercial director of a software company. I won't go into the details of it, but at a particular point in time, I was asked to sign off on the accounts. And as the financial director, it was my responsibility to say that these accounts were fair and true and a representation. And there were some things that had gone into the accounts um, from the CEO that I wasn't happy with. And I said, I'm sorry, I cannot sign these accounts. And within two days, the CEO had rung me and said, Dave, we need to meet. And I met with him. And he said, we don't have a meeting of minds here, do we? I said, no. I said, this is the truth. And this is what it says. It, it wasn't a lie, if you want, in legal terms, but it was certainly a misrepresentation. I said, I can't sign them. In all integrity, I cannot sign them. I put down a line. Do you know what happened? What happened was he said, okay, Dave, it's time to part company. I'm giving you your notice. And I'm thinking, oh, no. All I did was stand up for what was right, and now I'm losing my job? And if you want to get a picture that really sets this in place, this was exactly the time that we'd agreed to build our extension to our house, the first extension we built to our house. We'd commissioned the builders. We'd already said start. They, they were you know, we'd already made the deposit payment. Within weeks of doing that, I lost my job. And you could go, oh, woe is me. Did I make a right decision? Should I have compromised? I did not feel I should have compromised one little bit. I stand up for what is right. You know, I believe that when I, when I say yes, I mean yes. And when I say no, I mean no. And I'll give you a specific example because this is the way that I, I, I try to live my life. So this week, this is this has happened for me this week. This week, on Friday, I was meant to be doing two assemblies in Manacroft School, the school we used to meet in. And I committed to the school to go and do those assemblies. And, um, you know, it's a gift from us as a church to them. Whenever I go to the school, it's always a gift to the, to the school. And they asked me to do quite a few assemblies, actually. But that was in my diary. That was the only thing in my diary for Friday. And then I get a phone call on Monday this week saying, Dave, can you come and do some teaching at Warwick? Can you come and do a whole day's teaching at Warwick, which I would have got paid for? And my first response is, my word is that I've already committed to go to the school, which I will not get paid for. So I cannot say yes to you until I have dealt with this. And if they say, no, we really need you, Dave, then 
bye-bye day's work. I'm just being really pragmatic with you. For, for me, my, my commitment is my commitment. And so I said, I rang up the school and said, look, um, I've got this opportunity. Would it be okay to move it to a different Friday? And they went, that's fine, Dave. No problem. So it all happened. I didn't do the assemblies in school. I'm doing them at a different time. But if they had said, no, Dave, we want you in because that particular topic has to be done that particular week, I would have gone, okay, that's the way it is. For me, my yes is yes and my no is no. And it's not maybe and whatever. And, and so, for example, those kinds of things then become important. And I know I don't get it right every time. I know sometimes I let people down. I've done it a number of times. Maybe I've done it to you, and in which case I apologize. You know, sometimes I'll say I will be there, and I'm not. But it was my intention to be there. So I want to live life on the edge with God. So let's go to Matthew 25, verses 1 to 3. The parable of the wise and foolish virgins. Let's start that off. And in Matthew 25, verse 1, it says this. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. Now, I don't know whether you think about being prepared but I want to ask a question. Are we ready as a church? Are we ready for what God wants to do? You know, if God's given us a lamp, then why would you take a lamp if you haven't got any oil? You may as well leave the lamp at home if you're not going to take the oil. It just doesn't make sense to me to take a lamp and then, unless God tells you to. And I can think of people who've been in this church in the past who have sat down at table. They've had nothing in their larder. They've sat down at table and they've taken hands together and they've laid the table and they felt God said he would provide. He promised them he would provide. And so they'd laid the table. And you might look at this and think, well, this is crazy. Why are they laying table? But they laid table and they sat down and they took hands together and they prayed. And on at least two examples that I know of, knock on the door as they were praying. And they didn't pray for hours, I can assure you. This wasn't a great big kind of hour-long prayer until the food turns up. They prayed. And as they were praying, knock on the door. Oh, I was thinking of you. I cooked, a, I cooked an extra meal. Here's a meal. Could you use it? On a second example, somebody had gone shopping for them. They just turned up with a box full of shopping. So when God tells you to do it, by all means, be like Noah. Build the ark even though it's not raining. Let's have eyes of faith to see beyond. And some people I know have already had eyes of faith because they've already started asking me questions like, Dave, we're nearly filling all the chairs in the room. What's going to happen? I said, well, move the tables a bit further forward and get more chairs at the back. When Philippa Hannah came a few months ago, we got rid of the tables. We had 50 chairs in here. We have room for 50 people. Legally, we can have 50 people in the room. You know, and then we can open the back doors and then we can open the side doors. We could probably get 55 people in. Then we can have people sitting in the kitchen. Um, I saw a video of uh, a Chinese friend of mine showing his, his church, and his church met in a house. And when I say met in a house, you got there early if you wanted a comfortable seat. If you got there late, you sat on the floor. If you got there even later, you sat on the stairs. If you got there even later, you sat up in the bedroom, and they had a speaker and a microphone relaying things upstairs. They had, I think, about 50, 60 people in their church in their midweek meeting, in one house, and it wasn't a big house. You know, the room was literally packed. You didn't go to the loo because there wasn't room to get out. 
You went to the loo before you got there. And so, church, I am not phased by growth. God will give us what we need. You know, if we fill this room on a Sunday morning, we'll have a Sunday evening service. It's not a problem. In fact, that might suit some people. And if we fill a Sunday morning and a Sunday evening service, then we'll have to see, God, what next? And if that all happens before we've run out of the lease, then, God, you're going to help us. Are we ready? Are we ready? If we, if we are going to take hold of this building and use it as God calls us to use it, then are we ready? And I, I think it's very interesting timing. Uh, you know, we as leaders uh, were praying over the weekend, and it was this weekend that we sat to pray, and we were praying. And uh, this was the weekend that the deal came through. I was told it was still weeks away. Just over a week ago, Davis may take a few more weeks or even a few more months. I'm thinking, no. So, are we ready? In Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 8. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you do at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and to Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. As we wait upon God, you shall be witnesses. You shall be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not maybe, you shall and so I, I am genuinely excited by the fact that prayer is being stirred in us as a church. And we're seeking to pray and we're seeking to pray together. And I just want to encourage people to plug into that. Because not only are we ready, but are we expectant? Are we expectant? If those lovely little children who are all in Sunday school right now, if, if it's their birthday party next week, they're expectant. They're expectant for presents. They're expectant for a cake. They're expectant to have some friends around and have some fun and play some games. They're expectant. If you ever had a small child on Christmas Day, waking up three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock, you know, you know what I mean by expectancy. But expectancy can also be in birth. If a woman is has con you know, if a couple has conceived and the woman is pregnant, you can see after a time that she's carrying the weight of that burden. But eventually, there's kind of come a time when that thing that you're waiting for arrives. And that wonderful moment of birth, when life comes forth. And just, do you know what? I've heard people say a number of times, that's the most significant event in their life. The birth of a child. Joan, what would be the most significant event in our life as a church? I think it might be the birth of a new Christian. Someone coming to, somebody you know who you happen to invite to church. And do you know what? We live in a world of personal recommendation. If you go to Amazon now, if you buy a book at the bottom of your page at Amazon, it says, here, people like you also bought this. Do you know, we, we ought to have something similar in our thinking around church. People who also did this, also did this. And that we would go from a place of saying, you know, people like you lead people to Christ. People who like you are part of baptisms. People like you lead other people to Christ. See miracles happen. Speak prophetic words. Speak words of knowledge. Because people like us means witnesses of Christ. 
disciples of Jesus. So are we expectant? Because he said in that scripture, he says there, you will receive when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You shall be witnesses. So it's not even an if button maybe. It's something that's very, very strong. The story in Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 35, says this. Um, Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And yourselves be like men who wait for their master. When he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may be opened to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if you should come in the second watch or in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Then Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all the people? And the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise steward whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Are we watchful? Do you know what? I, uh, it's very easy to be busy doing things that we think are important. Do you know what? I regularly pray, you've probably heard me pray at some point, Lord, let your will be done. Now, when I pray that kind of prayer, I am a man under authority. I am submitting myself and saying, Lord, let your will be done, even if it's more, even if it's different to what I have planned. Yeah, and there have been times when I've been preaching on a Sunday. There's been times when I've been doing things at different times. And I've sensed that the Lord say, do this. So, yeah, but Lord, I, I've got this to do as well. Yeah, who am I to say to a God who created the earth, who sent his son Jesus to die for you and for me? Who am I to say, OK, God, Lord, you've got a plan. But could I just do my plan first? My plan might be a little better. Could I do that first? Who am I to say those kind of things or even think those kind of things? But you know what? As soon as we acknowledge that his plan is bigger and better than ours, then we need to yield to it. We need to submit to it. And that means sometimes changing our priorities and saying, Lord, let your will be done. Are we watching? I'll give you a very simple example. Let's say I turn up at church and I'm busy helping set up at church on Sunday. And out of the corner of my eye, I notice somebody walking up, outside, up and down outside, kind of looking in the windows, but not sure. Now, I could think, OK, I've, uh, like I did this morning, if I'm really honest, the IT system wasn't working. I was so overwhelmed by that. In, then, in, in the end, I just said the Lord, I just felt the Lord say, no, just just stop. Let's just don't fight this day. But, you know, sometimes we can be so focused on what we're doing that we miss something important that's going on outside. And it might be a stranger who's just saying, is this the building? Is this where Running Me Christian Fellowship meet? Has it started yet? Can I go in? Or, or someone you see who comes into church and they arrive late and uh, um, you're sitting next to them and you notice they're a bit out of sorts, not feeling, not feeling OK, you know, maybe a bit fidgety, maybe keep on checking their phone. You know, maybe you could lean across in a moment to say, hey, are you okay? Because you know what? If our eyes are open, we will see things. 
And if we see things, then there are times when we need to respond to those things. And if we respond to those things, needs will arise. And as needs arise, sometimes we can think, oh, this need is so big. And my purse is so small. But you know what? If we truly believe what we read in Scripture, we are connected to a God who has a storehouse in heaven that is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. So I'm not limited by what's in my wallet. God still calls us to be wise and to, to be careful and those kind of things, but it doesn't mean I won't pray outside the box. But are we watching? Are we watching out for one another? Our first week of New Community, we talked about three things. Number one was connecting with God. As, as midweek meeting, we're going to connect with God. Number two, let's connect with one another. Now, if we can't look after our own family, then we can't reach out to other people. Then having connected with our family, let's reach out to other people. Let's reach out to those who we come across. And let's see. And let's see what God will do, because I believe God is calling us to be watchful, just like the servants. And not just in the first hour, not just when it's easy. But notice the, the story that Jesus tells there goes on to say, and they continue to watch into the second and third hour. And that reminds me of the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus went to pray and he went to pray with his disciples. And he said, pray with me. And then he went on any further into the garden. And what did they do? They fell asleep. And there's a phrase in scripture that rings into my heart. When he comes back to them and finds them sleeping and says, could you not watch with me one small hour, one moment? Could you not? I think, Lord, don't let that be me. Don't let that be me. Let me let me be ready. Let me be watching. In Philippians chapter one, verse 23 to 24. It says this. For I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain with you in flesh is more needful for you. Do you know what? Sometimes, I mean, like, like Juliet was saying earlier on, sometimes if, if, if it wasn't for the fact that God had said something, she would have laid it down. I've had the privilege of being and seeing people pass into eternity a number of times. You know, it's, it's a wonderful moment, quite often. Um, and it's a challenging moment. And I remember me, I remember standing at the bottom of a bed with a lady called Nora, who most of you wouldn't remember. She was in the church uh, probably 20 years ago now. She was in her 90s and she was a little lady with white hair, but she loved the Lord. And I was in the hospital room with two, two of her children and we, we, we got to pray. And she was coming to the last hours and days. And I remember her looking at me as I prayed and she opened her eyes and she, you know, she, she you know how people are sleepy and they kind of they got their eyes closed. I prayed and she opened her eyes wide and she looked at me. And then it was this. She, she looked over my shoulder. She wasn't looking at me anymore. She was looking over my shoulder. And as she looked over my shoulder, a massive smile appeared on her face. And I honestly believe even now she was looking into the face of Jesus and she was gone within minutes. She was gone within minutes. But you know what? She died with a smile on her face. I, I think I, I can I can imagine over my shoulder there was Jesus standing saying, "Come, Nora, now's the time. Come and be with me." Do you know I, I, that's what I understand Paul is saying in this letter? I'd rather be with Jesus. I'd rather be in heaven. I wouldn't have all this trouble, all this worry. But if it wasn't for the fact there is still work to do here on earth, then I would go. 
I would, you know, and he talks about that tension, that tension between the flesh and the spirit. And talk, you know, I, I read it there. For I am hard pressed between the two, between heaven and earth. And I'm, prob- I'm probably sure there are people in the room who've actually thought at certain points in the time, Lord, please take me. But you know what? There's work to do. There's people to save. There's people to share the kingdom with. And if you feel pressed in, ask God not to lift you out of that, but to fill you up. Do you know what? You know, the best way of dealing with the bends when you're underwater, um, if you've ever been scuba diving, the, the pressure of the water starts to compress things and starts to do things in your bloodstream. And ultimately, the best way of dealing with the pressure is to have pressure in your suit to counterbalance, not to be crushed by the pressure, but to have a counter pressure. And when you feel pressured, I would encourage you to say, Lord, fill me. Because for me, that is, that is the counter pressure. If I am filled with the Spirit, there is nothing that will crush me. If I am filled with the Spirit, there is nothing that will crush me. And my final scripture for today is out of 1 Peter 4, verses 7 to 11. And it says this, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful with your prayers. And above all things, having fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. You know what? None of us are perfect. If you're looking at me thinking I'm perfect, I'm not. I don't ever want you to put me on that pedestal. Now, we need to be big enough as a family to be able to love people even when we make mistakes, even when we hurt one another. Because that's the sign of a good family. That's the sign of good church. Is that actually we can work with a flawed person. We can work with a flawed character. Because God will shape us together and help us to do that. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as, as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Christ Jesus, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Do we have the right attitude? Do you know what? If we don't have the right attitude, we will never jump off the edge. Sports psychologists would say this. When you are running at the top of your performance, you have to imagine yourself crossing the line and winning. And there are examples many times in history when two runners crossing the finishing line and the difference between silver and gold is the difference of attitude. And the one who won silver went like this. They just went like this. The one who won gold went like this. And it's just that difference. A hundredth of a second made all the difference. And actually they say you've got to imagine yourself. Church, we've got to, we've got to get to a place where we see that God can use us and will use us. So that when the opportunity comes, we don't wait. We go, yes, how can I help you? And we're bold in that. I'll close with a story which is about our young people uh, in the past. We had a group, we've had numbers of young people over the years, generations of young people. In fact, we're still living in the fruit of that. We used to run a youth group at Manacroft School for nearly 10 years, and some Friday nights we would have over 100 young people there. Some of those young people are now married and have kids and still are connected with us as a church. You won't see them on a Sunday, 
but they're still reaching out to us. I remember late la last year, late one Friday night, 11 o'clock, maybe 11.15, we were sitting kind of get, thinking about going to bed. Knock on the door, one of our former young people who's now a chef, knocked on the door, said, I thought I'd pop round and come and have a chat. Now, I'm just thinking about all the things that I've just shared so far this morning. You know, 10 past 11, your first response might be, I've got work tomorrow. Um, and we could have just kept him on the doorstep. Do you know what? We hadn't seen him for months. He made a decision of faith many years ago. Just what, I hadn't, didn't really know how the journey was going. Do you know what? He came in and we talked, we prayed. You know, And he was passionate about the youth club, even though the youth club had run 10 years previously. He was passionate about it. So how's church going? And so, you know, you never know what God's going to ask you to do and how he's going to ask you to do it. So this group of young people, um, we've had a number of youth leaders. We had Nate and Erica from Canada come through. We have other people come through um, over the years. And then um, we didn't have a youth leader, but we had a group of young people, people like Letty's son, Dan and Alex, and, and Joy and Hannah and a bunch of other young people. And they were really on fire. And I felt God say, okay, Dave, you need to take this. And I took them for a year. Do you know what? It was such a privilege, such a privilege to, to lead a group of 15 young people who are on fire and after God. And one particular Friday night, we sat as a group and they'd invited some friends. And uh, we were going to have a prophetic evening. And I didn't, some friends came and I had no clue whether they were Christians or not. They didn't know anybody else in the group. But what we did was we said, OK, we're going to pray for everybody tonight. And what we're going to ask people to do is to write down something positive or something that you see in somebody else. And we got lots of post-it notes like this. And people started writing things down. And I challenged the young people and I said, young people, you know, there are some people here you don't know. You've never met them before. But I'm believing that God will speak through you. So if you want to write down something for them, then please do that. And guests, I don't know where you are on your journey. But if you, if you want to write down something, if you just see somebody has a smiley face, please just write them. Have a lovely, smile, smiling countenance. But do it. You know, and we started, and the first person stood in the middle, and we started sticking post-it notes on them and declaring over them the good things that we'd seen in them. And then people started prophesying as they had words in their pieces of paper. You're a good friend, and God's leading you to a place of, uh, of deeper friendship. And then we came to the first visitor. And they were a bit shy and said, okay, they've seen a few people. And they said, yeah, okay. They were honestly not expecting anybody to have any post-it notes for them. Maybe the one friend who'd invited them, maybe that. Do you know what? They got more post-it notes than anybody else. As people put post-it note after post-it note on them and nailed it because God had given them understanding and insight. And church, I believe we're a prophetic people. I believe we're a prophetic people. Obviously, you don't, but I believe we're a prophetic people. Okay, there's some prophetic people listening online too. And if we act prophetically, then we need to be expectant like the virgins. Come with your lamp filled. Don't come with it empty. Don't come to church thinking, okay, I'm coming to be filled. Let me ask you a question as I wrap these things up. Are you the kind of person who drives around with your car on empty just to see how many miles you can travel with the warning light going off. Okay, no, but there are people who do it. I've sometimes done it just for a bit of fun. Yeah, no, okay. 
Yeah. And, and you might say that's testing God. Um, there was a lady in our church many years ago, May. Julie would know her, she, I think. Or Norman, you'd remember May. And May told a story of in the war. So that gives you the kind of time scale on this. Uh, dad was a preacher in Wales. And you had to get petrol vouchers to go places. And they didn't have enough petrol vouchers to get somewhere. So they laid hands on the car and they prayed. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed until petrol came out of the cap of the car. The tank was full. And so church, I just want to say, are we expecting? Are we ready? Now, are we a prophetic people? And therefore, when God said, gives us something, we'll do something with it. And when we do something with it, people will come. I'm honestly believing that we will see people healed in this place. I'm honestly believing that we will see people who are touched and changed in this place. I'm believing that you and I will prophesy over people we've never met before. We'll have words of knowledge, words of wisdom. And they will leave differently. And that's my prayer. Let's live life on the edge with God. So let me pray. Father God, we thank you for the privilege of um, having the lease on this building. Father, thank you that you provided it to us. Father, help us to be wise stewards and good users of this building. Father, would you stir up the gifts in your people in running me Christian fellowship, Lord, to be and to do who you've called us to be. Father, help us to take steps of faith. Help us to be ready. Help us to come with expectant hearts. Help us to be watching and watchful. Lord, not just for those in the building, but those outside. Father, help us to go out and bring people in. Father, help us to ask people, invite people, bring people to your, to your church, Lord God, in this place. And Father, we know you have a plan for us because your, your, your word says, I will build my church. But we still need to play our part in that, Lord, to be faithful. And so, Father God, help us to do what you've called us to do and be glorified in it, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you, Dave. What an amazing word you have. Yeah. I hope you've been sure you have a word on your heart. And I would like to ask you two things. Stick your children in that. And it is, sorry. I mean, uh, at the end, they were sharing about uh, posting it in 